the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Good morning, everyone. You are beautiful, a beautiful uh, people to just to see. And uh, I love seeing the people of God um, gathered. And, uh, and I, I love the fact that I get to speak to you. And I slept in my own bed last night. Um, my wife and I are, are missionaries. Uh, I travel about 270 days a year. Uh, the ministry we lead, we'd love to tell you more about it. It's not the main purpose of our being here today, but uh, Life Action Ministries, lifeaction.org. You can take a look at that or come to our, our, our book table. We, we give all the proceeds of our books back to our mission work at Life, at Life Action. So come out there and grab a book or just come talk to us about this ministry. Um, but the ministry is based in Michigan. We, uh, we really create contexts for people to hear God and to rest their body, soul, and spirit, and hopefully experience revival. We've been doing it for half a century. And uh, we have in Michigan, we have a tremendous property, hundreds of acres of land. We have a family camp. We have a leadership lodge where people come um, to, to just get rest as a leader from all over the, the world. And, uh, and then we have a, an office and a ministry that where we send out teams all across America to serve churches, universities, and then we send them or bring them to the world to serve missionaries and refugees. And so sometimes it's kind of head spinning. And you say, wait a minute, uh, it's in Michigan? That's right. And, uh, uh, and we live here because we can live anywhere we want because we travel so much. And we choose to live here. Five years ago, I was a pastor in Knoxville, and we just never moved. And so uh, usually I've been on an airplane and if I'm preaching, I'm preaching somewhere in the world and I've been gone quite a while to do it. And this morning I slept 22 minutes down the road <laughs> and uh, where we live. And uh, we, were, we loved being with some of you yesterday doing a, a leadership conference and just very excited to, to share with you um, today. And we appreciate your prayers so much. Uh, if you think of us, uh, a neighbor right down the road, um, pray for us because uh, sometimes what we do is, is kind of head spinning, but it is thrilling. It is wonderful. We are so thankful to be a part, a part of it. Um, and it's very diverse. So, um, so for instance, in the next few weeks, if you count this, the last week or so, uh, let's just say over about a month's period, um, we spent a significant amount of time with a team of, um, college age students who, uh, who, give away a year of their life at least, raise their own support and travel with us because we believe that the, the next generation, that, that revival is largely in the hands of the next generation. We really believe it. We don't just say it. And so we take 18-year-olds right out of high school who love Jesus with all their heart, but, you know, they're a mess like the rest of us. And, but we, if, if they have a gift and a passion to serve children or preschoolers or students or they're, they're musicians, they're worship leaders, we take them and we bring them to our camp in Michigan and we train them in the summer. And then at the end of the summer, we put them on buses and we send them all across the country to churches, universities. And, and in a month's period, we'll work with those teams that right now are at churches across the country. Uh, I'll be Tuesday and Wednesday at Oklahoma Baptist University, which will just open the entire camp us up um, to, uh, to our entire team in February, and I'm preaching chapel to get them ready. And then a week from today, I'll be with leaders in Europe. Two weeks from today, my wife and I will be at least eight different languages with people. We can't say exactly where we'll be, but let me tell you, we'll be right in the midst of the greatest revival in the history of the world that's taking place right now in the Muslim world. 
and we'll be ministering to persecuted believers who are brilliant, they speak English, and they're leaders, and they're going to be able to take the gospel back to their own people groups, to nations where when they once lived there, they were in prison or they were persecuted, and and now they're training and preparing in a relatively safe place. This is our life. It's kind of insane. And there was a time when I, you know, I was a pastor just down the road and woke up and went to the office and all of those things. And, and, and we're thankful for that. We love that. But, but God has given us this season. In, in, in this last, we're in the fourth quarter of our life. We also think we're in the fourth quarter of history. And in this season, we have given our life joyfully. This is not a chore. Joyfully to be a part of seeing what we believe will be the last great awakening before Jesus returns. You know, you, you read in the scripture where it talks about how, how all the peoples, the ethnic, the peoples of the earth will hear and then you'll come, right? Well, the reason that I'm an optimist is because I don't see how that happens without a great awakening. And like if you'd have told me, if you'd have said 20, 30 years ago, how will all the Muslim nations hear? Nobody was coming to Jesus in the Muslim world. I mean, literally almost no one. It's the hardest people group ever to reach. In one country that we'll be able to minister to directly on this trip that we'll be, that we'll be doing, 20, 30 years ago there were 100 believers. Now there's probably close to 3 million. Now, in this country, you're almost guaranteed torture, prison, death if you come to Jesus, but nobody can stop them from coming to Jesus because of the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our world today. Okay. We are in great awakening in the world today. It's the greatest revival in the history of the world. And I don't know about you, I'm tired of missing it. I don't want to miss it anymore. I want to see God move in the Western world the way he's moving in China, the way he's moving in Korea, the way he's moving in Afghanistan, the way he's moving in so much of the Muslim world. If that is going to happen here, it has to start somewhere. Yesterday in our conference, we talked about how wonderful it is that God is a remnant God. You know, it, it, actually, when we say a church is in revival, that's kind of a mis, misnomer. No church has ever entered revival. No, no church comes together on Sunday morning, and when they leave, they all go, oh, we're in revival. No, you know what happens? You know what happens when revival comes? God revives someone. Maybe it's a small group or a few here or there, and then it begins to spread from one to another. But the, the beautiful, wonderful, incredible thing we talked about a little yesterday is some of the greatest movements in history, some of them that created our nation, sustained our nation in history, have begun with one person. Sometimes one person too old or, or, or too young. There's so many reasons that they would have said, well, God would never use me, and yet he did. And it could be that sitting right here are the only people that God needs to launch the next great awakening that will one day usher in the coming of Jesus. I, I just want to be a part of that. And so thank you for letting, letting us share. My beautiful wife, Donna, here today. We'll both be back at that book table. We'd love to talk to you. And hopefully, since we're just down the road, we'll have other opportunities in the days ahead to minister together. If we're, if we're going to pray for revival, if I have a, a chance to preach like I'm doing this morning, it's very rare that I'll preach about anything other than revival. We ought to know what it is. <laughs> so most of this won't be repetitive, but if you were here yesterday, you saw at least a version of this. All right, and here is what we're talking about when we're praying for revival. This is our target. Revival is a season of breakthroughs 
Okay, it's not a, an emotional experience. It's not one service. A season of breakthroughs in word, it's driven by the word of God. Indeed, in other words, it doesn't just change how we feel. It changes how we live. If you study the great revivals of history, they change everything. Pay close attention these days, by the way, to Muslim countries where there's a lot of protests going on. Again, where they know they might very well be thrown in prison if they do. Pay very close attention. And if you ever get a chance to actually see a picture of some of that, which is hard, know that what you're probably looking at is your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because revival is changing the way people live. It changes our deeds. And then, it cha- and then it's, it's in power. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that brings these season of breakthroughs. And then it creates a new normal. Everything in our life, our experience, our fruitfulness, it all changes. That's what we're talking about. That's why we left our church to lead this ministry, to, to go anywhere God will allow us to go, to say, that is possible. It's not just possible, it is God's desire. Do you, let, let me ask you, do you think this morning when you woke up, the Lord said, oh, there's one of those American Christians waking up. I don't like them much. Boy, I, lo- I love those, the Chinese and the Koreans and the Iranians and the Afghanis. Man, I'm enjoying working there. Don't really care much for those Americans. No, of course not. He loves you. He loves us. He loves his people. So why are we missing out on that? Why? I don't think the problem is him. He's looking for a people who will say yes to him, no matter what the cost, no matter what it means. And when he finds that people, he's going to move and he's going to bring Revival, But man, um, I think whenever we talk about revival these days, we have to just be honest and say, it, it, it feels like that's almost impossible. I mean, look at the situation we are in. We've never been more divided as a nation. We, we, have, we have completely collapsed morally. I mean, I, there's, the, the, the culture is just so far gone, it's hard to imagine how revival could come. Do, do you know that's exactly the time that revival has come in history? When things are so far gone that people, even that don't know the Lord, finally are just going, hey, listen, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else. We've never seen suicide rate this high because people are just going, there's no real reason to go on. Do you know the number one killer in America now, if you're, if you're, if you're not a middle-aged or senior adult? It's fentanyl. It's a drug that people absolutely know will kill you, but they'll take it anyway just to have just a little while where they don't have to think about the world we live in. Let me tell you, when you get to that place, there's only two choices. You're going to die or you're going to look for life. And that's why we could be, even though things seem so far gone, we could be on the verge of a season of breakthroughs. But there has to be a people. Doesn't have to be a lot. There's not a, and start with a lot in Afghanistan or Iran or Korea or any of the countries where God is moving so powerfully. Doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, there's a whole lot more people here today than the Lord used to change the whole world. He started with 12, okay? So, so let's not be discouraged. But it is a strange world we live in. When you have grandchildren, you always have funny stories. My, my grandson, 
<laughs> this was several years ago, but um, I, I, I love telling it. Um, he, he's very, very smart. He's a very gifted kid. And um, uh, he was five years old, and he knew everything you could know, I think, about the planets. He could tell me anything about a planet, more than I had ever dreamed of knowing about the planets. And one day he was talking to me, walking me through all these planets, and he'd say, there's big storms on Jupiter. I said, there's not storms, there's not even atmosphere there. He goes, yes, there is. There's big storms. And of course, I looked it up, and he's absolutely right. So he goes through all the planets, and I said, hey, you missed one. He said, I did not, Papa John. I didn't miss one. I got all of them. I said, no, you missed Earth. You said nothing about Earth. Earth is a planet. And he goes, well, Earth's where I live with my mommy and daddy and keep all my stuff. I said, well, yeah, that's true. But then he was quiet a minute and he goes, but I've been meaning to ask you, Papa John, what planet are you from anyway? I thought, I don't know anymore. I don't recognize this one. I mean, this one has just gone to be a different place altogether. How can we move? How can you, as a person and as a church, how can we move toward that season of breakthroughs? Do we, do we simply pray and hope? We pray all right, but is there any, anything we should be doing to move toward that season of breakthroughs. I think there is. Title of this message is how to sing the song of the Lord in a strange land. And that's actually a scripture verse. We won't, we won't turn there, but I would encourage you on your own to read all of Psalm 137 at some point. In Psalm 137, let me tell you what's happening. Um, God has judged his people that, that's why I get really scared when I hear people say, we got to save America. We got to save America. God may not want to save America. He, it's very possible that the, that the Lord says, it's, this is enough. And the only way I could love America is to bring judgment to America. If you ever, if you ever I'm reading Jeremiah now very intensely in Jeremiah. If you, and I'm in chapter 24 at the moment. Read that sometime. In chapter 23, the Lord is saying, look, you're done. The whole nation is done. Your, your, your leaders are, are liars and, 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 and adulterers and, and your, your prophets and your kings, you're, you're all done. And the very next chapter, he said, now that I've exiled you, let me tell you what you are. You're, you're good figs. He said, you're like a basket of beautiful figs. I love you so much. I'm going to take care of you even in judgment and I'm going to bring you back home. It's the strangest thing. God may judge us because he loves us. Very well might. In Babylon, there was a young man who was exiled. He was a part of the massive wave of Jewish slaves who came. Their temple was destroyed. Their city was gone. Everything they knew and loved was no more. And they and their families were captive slaves in Babylon. And a worship leader, instead of being able to lead worship like this, like we've seen today, he was sitting by a river in Babylon. Some Babylonians came by and they saw him. Jews were known for their music. And they came by and they said, hey, look, there's a, there's a Jew. There's one of those uh, worship leaders. They worship their God with a song. He said, hey, we want to hear a Jewish song. Sing one for us. Sing one of those foot stompers. Hey, we'll sing along with you. Come on, sing one for us. Sing. They, they were mocking him. You can read it for yourself. And sitting there in tears by the river, he cried out, how? How can we sing the song of the Lord in such a strange land? Well, what's the answer? 
to that? How do we do it? You know, singing in the Bible is very, very important. We're commanded over 50 times to sing. And, and, and it's not whether we have a good voice or not, because it's not about that. Singing in the Bible is about a full self offering to the Lord. It, it's our physical words. It's, it, it's our emotions. It's our spirit, our soul, our body. It's all of us saying, I lift my life to you. It's, it's preparation for revival. It's the reason we're commanded to sing. But here's what's cool. The Lord's song is in three-part harmony. The song of the Lord that we, we, we can sing even in this messed up land. It's in three-part harmony, and here's what's cool. God sings first. God sings first. We don't have to write the song. We don't have to figure out how to save the world. We don't have to fix everything. It is God who is singing. God sings first, and that's to me, is a tremendous, a tremendous encouragement. Turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This is really the verse God used in my life to kind of take me through COVID. When I'm leading a ministry, no clue what to do. Teams can't go on the road. I can't go overseas. Just, it it seemed like a full-scale disaster. Well, in Zephaniah, God is speaking to the people who will one day be in exile. And he says, listen, I want you to know how I'm thinking about you in the worst moment of your life. And this is what he says. The Lord your God is in your midst. Literally, it just says, the Lord your God is right in the middle. Right in the middle of what you're dealing with. A mighty one who will save. Now, when I first saw this and I read it in the Hebrew language, I thought, I can't be seeing this right. How could I have not seen something like this before? And I actually called a Hebrew scholar who knows the language much better than me, a seminary professor, and I, actually, I was with him in person and talked to him. And he goes, he looked at it and he goes, I've never seen this either. But that's absolutely right. What you see is right. You see the word save? The word save in Hebrew, the verb is yasha. You go, I don't know Hebrew. That doesn't make any difference to me. If you've ever studied the names of God, you might know the noun form. You might know what, if you look up this word in the dictionary, what it is. Somebody said it. What is it? Yeshua. This is the name of Jesus prophetically all those years before he was ever born. Literally, here's what God says. Listen, when you live in a time like this, when it feels like judgment is nigh and everything is coming apart, I want you to know what I'm about to do. I'm about to Jesus you. (laughs) I am right in the middle of it. I'm going to rescue you, he says. He says, I'm going to rejoice over you with gladness. That sounds insane. He'll quiet you by his love. He'll exult over you with loud singing. There's several words for singing in the Bible. This one is a party song. This is what you do at a wedding. This is what you do when you celebrate. You know what the Lord is saying? He's, he, he's saying the same kind of thing he's, he, that you see in Jer- from Jeremiah 23 to Jeremiah 24. He says, I'm not out of control. I, I know what I'm allowing to happen, but one day soon, all that will change. And the Lord looks at you today. He says, I see your pain. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to Jesus you. One day soon, because of Jesus, there's not going to be any more pain. And I'm going to come again. And in the meantime, let's get after seeing that the world knows me. You ever think about what it'd be like to hear God sing? I mean, I, I don't... I had never really heard a message about God singing over us until the Lord gave me this one. <laughs> I didn't know if anybody else had ever preached it, and I found out that somebody had. I was reading a message by 
John Piper. And what he wrote, what he wrote about God singing, I've, I've never read anything like this. Can you imagine what it would be like if you could hear God singing? Remember, it was merely a spoken word that brought the universe into existence. What would happen if God lifted up his voice and not only spoke but sang? When I think of the voice of God singing, I hear the booming of Niagara Falls mingled with the trickle of a mossy mountain stream. I hear the blast of Mount St. Helens mingled with a kitten's purr. I hear the power of an East Coast hurricane and the barely audible puff of a night snow in the woods. And I hear the unimaginable roar of the sun, 865,000 miles thick, 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth, and nothing but fire a million degrees centigrade on the cooler surface of the corona. But I hear this unimaginable roar mingled with the tender, warm crackling of the living room logs on a cozy winter's night. And I love this. And when I hear this singing, I stand dumbfounded, staggered, speechless that he is singing over me. He is rejoicing over my good with all of his heart and with all of his soul. Don't be discouraged. God is writing your song and he's singing it with joy because he knows what's coming. And then it gets better. You know why? Because we get to sing with Jesus. We get to sing with Jesus. I believe Jesus sang on the cross. I can't prove it, but do you ever get up on Sunday morning and go, ooh, I sure hope they read my favorite worship song this morning. No, we, we don't normally read songs. We sing them. Well, in, in, in the time of Jesus, the Psalms were a hymn book. Everybody knew the, the tunes. And so maybe when Jesus quoted the Psalms on the cross, maybe It was more like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I I know he sang because we we have it in Scripture. We see it in Matthew. We see he sang at the Lord's Supper that they sang a hymn and then they went out, right? I know that. But do you know we actually know what he sang that night? This was this blew me away as well. I was studying some ancient rabbinical history and found out we have absolutely clear evidence for how the Passover meal was conducted in the time of Jesus. And, and every rabbi was, did the same thing. So here, here's what they did. The leader of that meal that we call communion of the Lord's Supper, the leader of that meal, as they finished and before they went, he turned to Psalm 116 and he began to sing it. And he would stop periodically and the people would sing back, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yes, Lord, this is true. So can you imagine? Let me just just give you two verses of what Jesus sang. Psalm 116, verse eight. Can you imagine? They They didn't know. The disciples didn't get it. For you've delivered my soul from death. And they sang hallelujah, but he was headed for the cross. My eyes from tears. Hallelujah. But he was going to weep for them in Gethsemane in just just hours. My feet from stumbling. Hallelujah. But he was going to fall beneath the weight of the cross. But then, I think maybe Jesus started singing 
like the father sings in Zephaniah 3. And maybe his disciples thought, what is wrong with him? What is he even talking about? Because they didn't understand what was coming yet. And he's saying, but I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Death will not hold me. The grave can't keep me down. I will rise for you. And then he left there and he went to Gethsemane to do it for them and for us, for me, for you. We get to sing with Jesus. Will we sing hallelujah back to what he's saying to you right now? Will we say yes back to him? Will we say praise the Lord? When you say praise the Lord, you're really saying yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you, what you've just said is worthy of praise. I say yes. If I can be a part, if you can use me, I say yes. I want to sing with you, Jesus. That's how we sing the song of the Lord in this strange land. But here's where it gets real practical. Last thing I want you to see, we must sing a song that others want to sing with us. I I said yesterday, I think the greatest sin of the American church right now is uh, twofold, our disunity that causes people not to want to know Jesus. Most people... Most people just hear a, a song from us that sounds very off-key, something they'd never want to be a part of. But what, what, what's true, what's really sad is they think we wouldn't want them to be a part of us. Most of the world thinks that we view them as an enemy. Jesus was the friend of sinners, not the enemy of sinners. But most of the world around us doesn't see that in us. So we have to sing our song in a new way. We don't change the song. It's God's song. We don't change the word of God. It's God's word. But how are we singing? How are we singing? Jesus told us what his mission was. It's interesting. He didn't say the son of man has come to sit in the synagogue as much as he could. He said the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. The son of man has come for this purpose, to seek and save the lost. We are Christians. I like to say it that way because... I don't follow anybody named Christ, right? I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, that means I, I'm go, I've got to go where he's going. And, and he's here with us. Like we bring our car to a gas station, but we don't park the car there and walk away. We get full, and then we go with purpose. And that's why we're here today, and that's why we'll go out there in a few moments to go with Jesus on his great mission to those that don't know him yet. Let me give you three practical things we'll move toward a finish here that may help you do this because we need, we, we need to figure out how to, how to sing our song differently. I mean, just practically, how do we do this differently? Number one, talk like Jesus matters more than politics. Talk like Jesus matters more than politics. Man, we are in a hot political season in this nation, right? I want to ask you, if, if people around you listen to you talk, do they hear more about Jesus or more about politics? Because you don't know how much that really matters. Now, listen, I get it. I get it. It doesn't matter here or there, but I'm very, very, very politically conservative. Uh, uh, but, but you know what? I'm, I'm first of all about a kingdom, not a country. I, I just have a much, higher, a much higher call. And I'd be utterly ashamed if in the course of a week people would hear me talk more about politics than Jesus. We have an atheist um, friend, a longtime uh, friend of our family named Lauren Sandler. She's an author. Um, very sweet, very sweet person, and she lives in New York. My daughter was an actress, theater actress there, and one day my daughter and I went to visit her, um, and we were talking to her, and she said, Pastor John, I have a question for you. She said, why won't Christians talk to me about Jesus? 
I said, what do you mean, Lauren? I'll talk to you about Jesus anytime you want. She goes, no, I know that. But she goes, I have a lot of Christian friends and I, I pay attention because they, they, they say that Jesus is the most important thing in their life, but I never hear them talking about Jesus even with each other. All they're talking about is Republican politics. She said, what do I want to do with that? I'm not a Republican. She said, I, I, don't, I don't see that Christians have any use for telling me about Jesus. I said, Lauren, would you, uh, would you come to my church and, 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 and speak? She said, I'm an atheist. She, and then she, I never forget. She goes, well, will somebody trying to hurt me or anything? I said, well, I hope not. So I brought her to a big old church and I brought her up and interviewed her. And she told our people, she goes, I don't know. I, Pastor John's my friend, but I, other Christians never talk to me about Jesus. They just all talk about politics. And I'm curious. She said, I don't believe in him, but I guess I could one day. I don't know. Because it seems really strange that people would believe a Jewish carpenter 2,000 years ago was God. But what do I know? She goes, nobody wants to talk to me about Jesus. Our people were broken, y'all. They, were, they hit their knees and their faces weeping. And at the end of the service, we were trying to leave. They all surrounded poor Lauren saying, come to lunch with our family. We'll talk to you about Jesus. We're so sorry. I had to rescue her from all the Baptists. You know, I had to get her away. <laughs> Come on, you know, really. There's not going to be a new Washington, D.C. in heaven, you know. God's in charge. We're not. Let's be good citizens. But let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Number two, just make gospel friends. This is not rocket science. Just make gospel friends. Now, now listen, somebody's going to tell you if, you, if you have a friend because of the gospel, because Jesus died and rose for them, you know, he's singing over them, he loves them, he wants them to know him. You have a friend like that that doesn't know the Lord and you're talking about the Lord, they're going to, oh, I'm just your project, I'm just your project. Man, just get right back in their face. Hey, are you serious? If, I would say, if you believe what I believe and you don't tell me about it, you don't love me, you hate me. So don't be surprised that I want you to know Jesus. But you tell us, but if you never know Jesus, I'll be your friend forever. I'll weep over you, but I'll always be your friend. Be the best friend that a lost person has. And most believers have no friend that's lost. And that's, that's a problem because we are Christians. We are followers of the friend of sinners. And, and, then, and then last, just sing the song of the Lord. Sing and share it as a community. Sing and share it as a community. You are not meant to be doing this on your own. In fact, I'm convinced in this culture, anybody that tries to be a Lone Ranger Christian, sooner or later, you're going to go, this doesn't work. Maybe this is not real. Maybe what I believe is not true or something's wrong with Christianity. It just doesn't work out for me. And you're walking through this by yourself. Try to find that in the book of Acts. Try to find in the New Testament church where they're wandering around by themselves, showing up for church every few weeks. This is not our faith. You must be in a growth group. You must be in a small group of people that will do life together, but make sure you challenge each other to actually do it. Don't just come together to study the Bible. The Pharisees did that. Come together to let the word of God and the fellowship of God's people fill you up and then take you to those that don't know Jesus. We're not meant to do this alone. We must not do it alone. And uh, one of the places we go overseas, right before COVID, just watching the way their groups worked, watching the way they love each other, watching the way they put names on a screen of people, Muslims they were sharing with that didn't know Christ, watching how they talked about those they were discipling. And I realize it's, 
This is the most selfless group of people. It's all about others. And what was very strange was when they were concerned for others out there, God was supernaturally meeting the needs of those in here. It was so beautiful and so powerful that one of my young missionaries who will be with with my wife and I overseas um, just, uh, I believe a week, I believe this coming Saturday, he he whispered in my ear, I've never been to church before. This is something I've never seen. And a lot of believers have never seen a small group of believers who took Acts 2 and Acts 4, you know, passages like, and when they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You know, nobody, nobody let anybody suffer without what they needed. They all gave to meet each other's needs and, they, and, and the great grace of God was upon them all. And every day people were being saved. I mean, read those verses and then say to each other, we're going to pursue this together no matter what. We need this like the air we breathe. Watch what God will do if you do that. If you just come sit in here every week or every other week, sing, hear a message, and leave, you will never know what our faith was meant to be. Gather yourself in a community, people that will get on your nerves, people that will say something and hurt your feelings, people that will make you mad and people that you will live with and die with or die for and do it all because of Jesus and his mission for people that don't know him yet. And you watch what God does. He will not leave you without revival if you'll pursue him like that. C.S. Lewis said one day soon, everybody you know and everybody you don't know will only have left a song or a scream And um, we know the song. It's already being sung in heaven. (laughs) These incredible angelic creatures that are there now in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, they're singing a song, worthy, worthy, worthy. You were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God. Every tribe, every language, that's why we're going where we're going in the next next week. All the peoples and nations, you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. They'll reign on the earth. But but one day we'll get to join that song. You know how I know? Verse 13, I heard every creature. Oh, that'd be us. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Wow. There's the song of the Lord. We're going to sing it in heaven. Why don't we go ahead and get started, you think? God's singing over us. Jesus sings for us. We get to sing with him and then go with him to sing a song the whole world needs to hear. For our family, the worst thing about COVID was that my mother died alone, or at least almost. My mother was stubborn as a mule, 83 years old. She wouldn't use the walker. She was falling down all the time. We said, Mom, you have to, you have to. She fell and broke her neck. Um, In the days of COVID, we had to tell her over the phone that her spinal cord was swelling. Um, She was going to lose her ability to talk, to move, and then to breathe. And she would die. She said, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with your dad. She said, I just don't want to die alone. And that's exactly what they tried to do to her. They locked her in a, 
hospice nursing home place and wouldn't let any of us in. The very last of her life, she slipped into a coma. We had said our goodbyes over the phone. My brother's an ICU doc, and he basically threatened them that somebody's coming in. Somebody's coming in to die with our, to, to help our mom die. My, my sister is a worship leader. We settled on her. They said 15 minutes, fully garbed up, 15 minutes with our mom in a coma. And my sister, being a worship leader, said, I think I'm just going to sing over her. If she can hear, maybe the last thing she'll hear will be her daughter singing. She goes, I'm going to sing the song of our family. You see, it's the song that was playing in the middle of revival. I didn't know what the word meant then. Called the Jesus movement. When the hippies and wannabe hippies were coming to Jesus, I was one of those. And it was playing the night I was saved. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And that song was playing when my sister came to Christ, when my mom and dad rededicated their life to Christ. The song of our family. My sister sat by my mom, took her hand, and began to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And my mom opened her eyes at the sound of her daughter's voice and looked around the room, centered on her daughter and smiled and started to mouth the words of the song with her. The doctor said she had no more voice, but she found one when she came to the name of the one she had loved. My sister was singing through tears, turn your eyes upon, my mother said, Jesus. And she closed her eyes again and very soon she went to be with him. It's one of the great gifts God has ever given to our family. And after my mom's funeral that I preached, the Lord instructed me to tell this story. And when I do, to say this to everybody that hears it, in that song is everything you need. You don't need the elections to go the way you think they should. You don't need anything else but that song. It's every single thing you need for the rest of your life to walk in revival until we see Jesus face to face. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, all of it, will grow strangely dim in the light of his what? Glory and grace. Can you tell me what more you need than the glory and the grace of Jesus? You need it. You have it. Let's go live in it.